The following presentation is part of the Beyond the Blast Doors Network. Love it, Josh. Welcome to the Holla Chronicles. Holla. That's like a uh, that that intro's that intro's a little little fresher. It's beefed up. It's not it's not completely different, but it's not the same. That's, different, but the same. Yeah, that's we we call that a variant. Okay. Hey, in the collector world. That's right. That's right. Uh, like I said, welcome to the Holla Chronicles. Uh, we're so happy to be here. Episode thirty-seven. And we want to remind you, we're in week two now of being part of the Beyond the Blast Doors network. We awesome. made it. They have not kicked us out. No. They we, haven't kicked us out. They have, we don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. It's been a pretty fun week, though, in that regard, because in the last seven days, because we had a pod last Monday. Right. We've gotten some new followers. Right. Some new eyeballs and earballs have been on us. That's right. Which has been pretty cool. Um Everyone else has put out a show. We did six days. Six days of content, including I took a stab at writing an article, Josh. What the hell is going on? I don't know what's going on, man. (laughs) This network's messing with your mind, man. Uh, You're writing. Weird. Uh, Of course, like we said, six days of content. We want you to go and listen to, if uh, if you haven't already, go and listen to all the other pods out there. We've got Around the Galaxy. We've got the Bombad Cast Boys, which is crazy. they got some great stuff coming up. Uh, 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 Beyond the Blast Wars Live, uh, streaming Star Wars, uh, uh, postcards from Galaxy's Edge. I mean, we've got it all. And, of course, the Hall of Chronicles. But, yes, thank you. Time out, Josh. Time out. Time now. Out. Okay. Hold okay. on. Hold on. Okay. Hey. May the 4th be with you, Josh. May the 4th be with you. And we get to drop our pod on the 4th. That's right. The May the 4th. May the 4th be with all of you guys. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, make sure you like, subscribe, hit that little bell, the alert button. Uh, we're, we're doing everything on YouTube along with our pods, which you can find on all the major podcast networks. Let's get into it. T- we have we, 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 we have, have a show today. Oh my gosh, we have a show that... Consists of two things. That's it. Two things. That's it. We've got a show me your collection. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. And then we've got an interview. Correct. And the interview I'm super excited to share with you guys. Josh and I geeked out listening to executive producer of Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest. Yes. Mr. Scott Kinney. And I can't wait to get to that. But we do have... One piece of business. Yeah, we've got some business to take care of here on the Hall of Chronicles. And of course, hit that drop. We're going to do it. Show me your collection. Hmm. At the time of this recording, we put out a hashtag, show me your collection, just 24 hours ago. It's Sunday night, but you're going to hear this Monday, hopefully. And this comes to us from a new follower of follower of ours. He's probably been following us for two, three weeks now. That's right. Um, We've mentioned him on our pod before. He wrote in a nice little question to us um, a week ago or so. Right. And now he hit us up with his collection, and it's Mr. Christopher Lee. No, not that Christopher Lee. 
Not that Chris. May he rest in peace. Yes. But at Mr. Chris Lee 24, if you're following him on the Twitters. Well, and he basically started the Canadian invasion into the Hall of Chronicles. <laughs> yeah. Which, he, by the way, was just mildly trying to get ahead in line and, and lots of sorries. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Excuse me. sorry. Invasion. Sorry. Going on. Sorry. Pardon me. Invasion. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Chris has a really cool collection, and I'm glad he uh, shared with us. The shelves, the walls that he had filled up with Star Wars collectibles, toys, and memorabilia. Such organization. Yeah, he's pretty organized about it. Now, he did have a complaint, which is the second greatest complaint for any collector, is that I have more stuff, but they're in bins. I just don't have room for it all. But Josh... The dilemma. What is the most pressing collector dilemma? Uh... I believe it's to leave it in the box or, or take it out and play. That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma. Which is why we represent. Now, by the way, this is our own thing. Nobody else prompted us to make these. <laughs> we Minus are, SNL. We're stolen. <laughs> we have not ripped this off from Saturday Night Live at all. Nor are we making fun of anyone else. <laughs> Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to put it up on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, good yeah, for you. This if you're is, not, go yeah, watch it on YouTube. This is why you maybe want to catch at least part of our podcast on YouTube because we do post pictures. I know we're going to talk about it, but talking about pictures isn't necessarily great audio. Well, it's not the best. But, yeah. but what you're going to see here first is, as Darth Vader would say, most impressive. <sighs> That's like a... It's a pop wall. That's a pop wall. That he has super organized. And, you know, we've actually talked about using baseball bat display cases yep. to feature uh, our vintage figures. Yep. But what he did, he, he let me count real quick. There's One, eight, two, three, uh, nine, four, five, nine. six, seven, eight, nine baseball bat display cases full of Funko Pops. They're the perfect size. Look at them. I didn't even think of That's, like, awesome. Yeah. That's like a collector tip, like... 2.0, because you already brought that one up a while back on using those from Michaels, by the way. Your local Michaels will have these. <laughs> or a craft store. We're, we're not. We're, we're not, not sponsored by Michaels. Not sponsored yet. Yet. By Michaels, but shout out to Michaels. Um, but yeah, and, th and then he's got the ones that he wanted to keep in the boxes uh, resting on top. It's just super, super clear, super organized. Super nice. Very good job. Um, I love symmetry, and that's what I'm seeing here. As yeah. a matter of fact, uh, sorry, Chris, no offense, but you've got two boxes that are black on the left and then a blue and a white on the right. And so that one's messing. That's throwing me a bit. I hope it bothers you when you walk into your room. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. And look at this. It bothers him a little bit. He's like, hey, thanks for calling Doggone me out, Josh. It. He a. saw it. Sorry. Saw it. Sorry. I just couldn't come up with another couple uh, of black boxes. So. Yeah. He was like, dang it. He noticed <laughs> Uh, no, uh, swing on over to the next page there. Uh, what he also has, and I don't know if you can see it in the top left corner of that shelf, but he's got a Wampa snow globe. And I know you're a snow globe lover. Well, I have a snow globe. You have, and it is your most uh, unique. It's the best $10 I've ever spent <laughs> for my collection, that is. I like that snow globe, though. It's awesome. It's a wampa with Luke hanging upside down uh, from that scene in Empire Strikes Back. It's unique. You don't see a lot of Star Wars-themed snow globes around. I appreciate it, Chris. 
Um, I think that's my favorite thing in your collection. Hmm. But it's not Chris's favorite thing in his collection. It's not. I will say from this picture right here, I do see some Elite series. Yes. Uh, which are fantastic. Actually, I own the R2, but I'm just looking at the... the uh, oh, what Power is Droid? Part? Yeah, the Power Droid. It says it right there. Gonk. Um, Gonk Droid is what I was going for. Uh, and then a Chewbacca. I don't know if I have him with a Porg. Mm-hmm. I like those Elites. Here's the only issue I have with the Elites. Just a quick sidebar. Okay. Because I decided to take them out of the box. You remember that? Yeah. I don't know if we potted that or not, but I decided. I'm like, I'm taking all my Elite Series out of the box, keeping the boxes, of course. They do not stand up well. They're made of solid metal. Yeah, they're heavy. And so their little knee joints just give out, and I got I got downed characters, uh, you know, figures all over the place, just falling <laughs> over. And when one of them goes down, they're heavy enough. They take out an entire Legion yes. with one drop. It's so. a dominant. Kylo effect. Ren, Kylo Ren in particular, he's so tall and lanky. Took out like dominoed like an entire back line. Well, for plus him. he's got a lightsaber too that yeah, extends just, his reach. Yeah. Rose, I found Rose on the ground and I felt bad. Sorry, Rose. I was like R.I.P. Phantom Menace going on here. Next. <laughs> Next picture. Yes. Uh in this. Oh, wait. You know, I I did want to mention in that last picture that he did have a Jedi training ball alarm clock <laughs> that was also very cool it wakes you up by zapping you in the ass yeah <laughs> hey 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 i'm up i'm up blast shield was down mm. um but getting back to what chris believes who by the way has been collecting since 1998 or so nice. so just before the phantom menace came out right after the special editions kind of right in that little window he says he started collecting um, his two favorite pieces, because he couldn't whittle it down to Gotta one. Gotta do two. I hear you. Yeah. Um, was a piece of art that he got while visiting Las Vegas. Okay. Ooh, I had a comment on that. Keep going. Okay. And then the other, and this this one, I, I it resonated with me a little bit, is his Commander Cody piggy bank. It looks like a gentle giant bust. I is mean, it in it, this pick? Next pick? Uh, I don't know. I don't, can't I see don't the next see pick. It. I don't see it yet. It's not on that one. It's not on that one. Must be down further in his... Oh, there it is. Hold on. Hold the phone. There it is. There it is. Yeah, it looks like a gentle giant bust. It does. Very high quality, very vibrant colors. Um, But it's a piggy bank, he says. He said he got it for like eight bucks in a thrift store or something. So is this like my colorblind thing? Because I think we already had this argument. I thought Commander Cody was yellow. That's orange. Uh, That's definitely orange. Yeah. All right. I mean, here's a debate. It's the Yanni or... Or what's the other one? Uh, uh, purple. Oh, purple. What? No. Purple and gold or purple and gold. blue and That's white. That's my thing. It's like whatever. Yeah. My little receptors pick up yellow on screen, but that's definitely orange. Yeah. All that's right. Orange. So uh, what were you going to say about the piece of art? So that's here's the, next, the deal. That's, the next. that's the next one. I'm going to put it up right now. So here's the deal. This is an, uh, an image of a piece of art from Vegas. Now, what I know about this is I obtained... A similar piece of art. Now, no piece of art like this can be the same because these are done by street vendors using spray cans, spray paint only. So if you're looking at this on YouTube, it's fascinating. You think that's a spray can, John? 100%. So let me tell you why. Because he said he got it from Vegas. What happens is, and I, I think I have it upstairs. I can show you later, Andy. But okay. what happens is, is they, they, they do this whole this whole image with spray cans. Now, Chris can tell me differently, but I'm even looking at Luke and Vader mm-hmm. and the X-Wings 
and the TIE Fighters, I had those, ex- the guys, they're, they're artists, obviously, but you can't believe what they can do with the side of cardboard and uh, it's, fa- it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And it's, and you will get mildly high standing there watching him create it because of all the fumes. It's a perk. But it's outside. You can go down. It's, <laughs> uh, I bought mine on, um, uh, old, in old Vegas. Gosh, why, I can't even think of the Vegas shut down. So did my brain. But anyway, uh, what's the old, uh, uh, oh, come on. That's what happens when I get into pot. I totally lose everything. Anyway, in old Vegas, there, there's lots of street vendors. And, like by the nugget? Yep, by the nugget, by the four queens, uh, by 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 the old uh, calamity Janes, Janes and, and all that stuff. And they're doing them out on the street along with many other things with less clothing. And <laughs> But this one... I bought two years ago, not this exact one, but one similar. So I really liked it when I saw that because I was like, I know that. I wonder if it's the same guy. There's a signature on the bottom right, so I have to check mine to see if if it's the same. That would be cool if it was. It was. I watched him make it, and then he kind of, when he gets done, he goes, who wants to buy it? And I was like, yeah, I'm buying that. You know, there's no coincidences in the force. That's right. This would just connect you guys even closer. What are we called? A die? Die? <laughs> Maybe you Chris and Chris are a, a, a dyad. 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 That's what we are. A diatribe. Diatribe. <laughs> part of a tribe. <laughs> the collector of, tribe. collector tribe. Uh, anyway, thank you, Chris, for sharing. Um, you know, if, if you listening have a collection of any size that you wouldn't mind sharing with us, uh, go ahead and DM us on Twitter and shoot us over a few pictures of what you got. And uh, and we'll we'll post you up one of these weekends. We will. We'll post you up all these weekends. We love it. Yeah. Now, Josh, the next part of the podcast is the bulk of the podcast. Yep. Got to get to it. We are proud to bring to you an interview where we sat down with uh, executive producer Scott Kinney of Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest. Uh, fascinating interview we could have listened to him for a whole nother hour it's a just a hair over an hour um i think we might have come up with a new segment though for the hall of chronicles at least once monthly or quarterly i i don't know yeah i'm gonna call it story time with scott well definitely keep that in the back pocket and uh, see if we can make that happen we'll we'll ask you guys if you want to hear more because i sure do if you like stories about original trilogy members and howard kazanjian oh my gosh um it's just story after story. I was just invigorated. Bob Burns. He's got Bob Burns. He's got a collection of his own that is extensive and it's behind awesome. him. It was hard to focus on him when he was talking. I was just <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Josh, I'm right here. I'm, my, I'm right I, here. my eyes are here, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, if you are into collecting, if you are into Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker and Raiders or, of the Lost Ark or, or Shogun Warriors or Shogun Warriors. Transformers. Man, you are going to really enjoy this next hour. Um, So before we kick it on over to the interview, I do want to remind you that uh, we do have a Patreon now. So if you are interested at all in supporting us in that way, you can go to Patreon slash Beyond the Black Doors. Blast Doors. I said Black Doors. You went Black Series, Blast Doors, same thing. Beyond the Blast Doors. (laughs) And um, you can support the network in whatever manner you see fit thank you for liking subscribing sharing there you go and supporting remember our videos are now on the beyond the blast stores youtube page hit the bell get that notification 
and we appreciate the listen, and we thank you for sharing. And without further ado, Mr. Scott Kinney. All right, today's guest on the Hollow Chronicles podcast is a fellow by the name of Scott Kinney. You might know Scott as the executive producer of Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest series, which you can see on YouTube and Amazon. Um, Scott, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. Welcome, um, Scott. Thanks, Josh. Uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone knows me, uh, it's probably Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest, uh, it, it, um, a streaming series that I co-created with Mark and a couple of other guys um, because we're all collectors. Uh, it, it was a real um, – the show was very pure from the beginning, and oddly enough, probably more people – I'm probably more well known on Instagram as just a toy collector than anything else, even even the TV show, uh, because I I was an early adopter of Instagram just because um, it kind of fulfilled uh, my desire just to take photos of toys all the time, and nothing else fit the bill like that app just to take photos of toys. And so my phone roll, it was, like it, it was like it was made for you. <laughs> yeah. It's full of toy pictures. And so then I just started posting them on Instagram and, and getting all these uh, followers. And um, in the midst of this, I uh, had this idea for a, uh, a collector show, but it, it started out as a toy collector show. And then uh, toy hunter happened. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that it was on uh, travel channel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Himbro. And, um, so when toy hunter happened, I'd already been like working on the show idea. Um, we kind of, my partners and I, uh, kind of shifted gears and said, well, let's not make it toy centric. Cause someone's already doing that. Um, and so we'll open it up to just pop culture collectibles um, in general, like lunch boxes, board games, puzzles, yeah, uh, um, pinball machines, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of broaden the scope of it uh, from a creative standpoint and then started pitching it um, once we kind of, you know, got to where what's the show about? Oh, and we determined, uh, this, this was, I guess I should back up and go through the process. How, how the, the show evolved me just a collector. I, I was doing, um, I was doing development work in, uh, Hollywood, uh, on feature films. Yeah. I had no TV experience in very little production experience. I'd done like television commercials and stuff. Um, but, the work I was doing was all the creative stuff, like uh, reading screenplays, giving notes to uh, screen uh, screenwriters, um, coming up with new pitches, blah, blah, blah. And in the midst of all this, uh, I thought, oh, it'd be fun to do a TV show about toy collecting because I collect toys, duh, you know, just yeah, yeah. something that I like. And I don't know very much. I'm, I'm pretty dumb. I mean, I read comic books, <laughs> you know. and you a genius in my book. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
I, you know, love sci-fi movies and stuff like that. So, I mean, I spend all my time, I don't read, you know, um, you know, physics or anything like that. I read, you know, sci-fi and I think that's, you know, real, uh, real science. That's just applied physics, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I'm just a a nerd. And, and so I thought a show about what I do would other people would connect to it. And, you know, since then you've seen, you know, multiple, the toys that made us and Mm -hmm. the movies that made us and lots of great like shows and documentaries and YouTube shows Lots of people doing regular weekly YouTube toy collecting or Star Wars collecting type shows now. It, it, it was kind of, you know, six, seven years ago, it wasn't a thing. It was like, it was super niche. Yeah. You know, kind of really, really, really kind of hidden away. You didn't, you didn't have a lot of vintage toy stores or guys, you know, opening, you know, brick and mortar, uh, you know, shops like you have today. So the toy boom just sort of kicked off, um, what, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago. Yeah. Um, like, like literally, you know, pop culture literally became popular, (laughs) you know, where you got, you got even, you know, hot girls, (laughs) what what? videos about their toy collection i'm like this is where did this come from this didn't happen um you know before yeah so So, the the collectibles kind of came out of the basement now and were for everybody yeah so yeah that that was fun i mean i have no complaints about that i'm not one of those people that's like oh i love it when it was like underground or something like that you know so so the, the group of guys you got together to do this show, um, you said you're all collectors too, the four or five of you? Yeah, it, uh, well, um, how going back to when I was doing uh, development work in Hollywood, I was introduced to a guy uh, named Darren Mormon, who was also, uh, he's an independent uh, film producer. And we, our orbits, you know, kind of aligned and we, we just started trading scripts and you do that when you, you know, meet people in Hollywood, it was, it's like, send me some scripts, dude. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing. And because you're constantly reading scripts. I mean, you, you want to read every new, like, you don't want to be behind on what everybody's talking about, you know, like the latest hot spec or something. So he was just a guy I knew. And we became buddies and I, I told him one day, I was like, man, I'd really love to do like a, you know, like a documentary type toy collecting show, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, that's a cool idea. I'd like to pitch it to uh, my buddy, Howard Kazanjian. Nice. And <laughs> I knew who that name, I knew that name because I'm a Star Wars uh, geek. So I was like, Howard Kazanjian, the producer of return of the jedi and <laughs> the guy who won an emmy yeah and he's like yeah, lost yeah, he, Ark. yeah yeah he uh he was he was vp of lucasfilm from like 77 to 83 the golden year or 84 something like that yeah like the years and uh so i i was like oh yeah and so he said write it out you know just give me one page and tell me what the idea is. I'll, I'll email it to him and then we'll get, we'll get on the phone. So that was, that to me just 
talking to Howard on the phone was worth it. Like, yeah, no matter if anything happened, I was just like happy to know him. And, um, is he a cool guy? He's super great. Uh, and he's, he has a track record in, in Hollywood that goes back to like Hitchcock. Right. Um, so he was like Hitchcock's first AD on his last few movies or whatever. Um, so, and that was like him right out of, uh, film school. Right. Cause, um, cause he met George Lucas at USC. Right. If I did my fact, check, that's my understanding. I'm, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but that's my understanding is that they met there. Um, and then reconnected after George, you know, started building Lucasfilm essentially like when he, when George decided Lucasfilm was going to become a big company that he was going to build out, he had to go and hire people. Well, who do you hire in a situation like that? People that, you know, people that you trust. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, to bring on as, as your executives and stuff. So that, that's kind of what George did. Um, I think Howard's a, a little bit older than George, maybe at just a couple of years or something. Um, uh, but anyway, so Howard, he liked the idea. He had me work on it, develop it more, what episodes look like, et cetera. So I'm just shooting stuff in the dark. I mean, I'm just making stuff up. Um, at that point, I don't even think toy Hunter was on. I, I, it was just known that they were making it. Right. So I didn't know what the show looked like. Really. I was just sort of, well, what would I want to watch? That's how to approach it. Um, and so early on, uh, Howard said, I like the idea enough. I think it has potential. I w- would like to ask your opinion as to whether my friend, um, Mark Hamill would be a good host for the show. My buddy name dropper. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Well, it was really a weird time because, um, the force awakens wasn't even announced at that point. In fact, uh, when we started talking about this, the sale of Lucasfilm hadn't happened yet. Mm, okay. So when he suggested Mark, Mark wasn't like he wasn't on everybody's radar back then. Like he wasn't on TV show. He was doing like guest appearances uh, here and there, uh, but he was mostly just continuing to do his voiceover work, which he's been like a workhorse voiceover artist since, you know, the nineties. And so I was like, I mean, I was personally thrilled, but it it wasn't like something like uh, it didn't make me go, oh, well, this will make the show sell for sure. You know, because, again, the Star Wars phenomenon, when that happened, you know, I I did have, you know, initial phone uh, conversation with Mark. He loved the idea just from a personal standpoint. Like, this is me. This is what I'm into. I would love to do a show about you know, collectibles, collect, collecting, uh, pop culture memorabilia vault, you know, types. And so he was on board just like as an interest thing, like a genuine interest. Um, so we started pitching the show before the star Wars announcement happened. 
And what was funny was um, people, you know, at the network knew who Mark was. And again, the Star Wars craziness hadn't started up again. And like network executives would hear that he was coming in for a pitch meeting and would like come down to the meeting just to (laughs) and meet him. Like, you know, we, we went to all the big networks. Like we went to NBC universal and, and places like that discovery channel. And, you know, they were all like really excited about, you know, doing a show with Mark, but they were like, Oh, it's a show about collecting. Huh? (laughs) Just did not. Didn't get it. Didn't connect with that. Yeah. Like at all. Like well, what? I think there's some wives that can relate to that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you know, it. They, it's like, you know, they'd come back. They call us back and go, "Well, does this show have to be about collecting? Could it be like a game show with Mark? You know, hosting the game show? Mm. And and you know, just and it could be you know Star Wars related. It could be pop culture related, but just not you know you know, collectibles. Um, and Mark to his credit, like when people would come back to him and basically try to hire him for another job. Oh, so you're doing TV shows now. Um, you know, we've got this show, you know, so because of the meeting, they would offer him something else. Yeah. And he, he turned, he turned him down. He was like, no, I just, I like this. And I'd like it to be, you know, really pure. Like, I don't want it to be about uh, buying and selling me trying to con somebody into selling me their collectible and looking like I'm ripping them off, you know, stuff like that. He he thought that, you know, would be a bad look like flipping, Yeah. which it's not an indictment. Mark's not, you know, like anti-dealer or anything like that. He's got some, you know, some, uh, negative emotions and, and, and things uh, about autograph resellers, right. you know, he's, because he's constantly hounded by him, which I understand at some point you just can't take it anymore. You know, like everywhere you go, you know, people demand your autograph and he knows the guys that are just there to get his autograph to sell it on eBay or whatever. Yeah. So, so, even, so um, does Mark have his own collection then? Yeah. Yeah. And he, and, um, that through the course of doing the, uh, working through the show concept, I learned, I already knew he was a collector because back, back in the nineties, uh, in comic fandom, Mark, uh, was kind of, uh, you know, he, he made comic book, the movie, uh, he was regular, he was a regular attendee of the San Diego comic-con, not as a guest, but just like walking the show floor type thing and he would be interviewed um you know by comic book uh you know magazines and and stuff related uh magazines about uh him being a golden age comic book collector and so apparently he has like a really nice golden age like key you know collection Mm. uh golden and silver age some, some, I guess, valuable enough that he keeps them, you know, in a bank vault, doesn't even keep them at home. Mm. Um, so, he, you know, you can imagine, you know, being uh, a guy who like, you know, Mark 
he was a geek and a nerd before he was Luke Skywalker. He, <laughs> he really was. I mean, I think he said the first time he, he bought a collectible, he had just graduated from college. Uh, I believe the story goes, and he bought at a garage sale, someone's Beatles collection or something. <laughs> so in the early seventies, he got like the bug. And I think one of the other things he did was he repurchased all of the uh, Aurora monster model kits from the 19 late 19, well, mid 1960s, um, which he, you know, built when he was in junior high or high school or whatever. And so he started, you know, buying those old model kits. So he was, you know, he was into that in, in comic books and stuff before, you know, he became, um, before you know, he became a collectible, he became a collectible. He became a pop culture icon, right? Um, which would be weird, you know, to have, you know, that fantasy of being involved in, in media, you know, sci-fi media or fantasy media or whatever, and then become like the pinnacle hero of the seventies and early eighties. I mean, he would, you know, Luke Skywalker was, it i mean at when i i saw the first star wars i was in like third grade or something like that i was obsessed from then on out like hardcore you know like into it from the first moment you know from the crawl wow what was it like to work with mark um it was really good and you know you know people you know, sometimes talk about regretting meeting their heroes or whatever. Uh, it was a great experience all around, you know, uh, he was always into it, uh, would get completely sidetracked, like talking about some random toy. Um, like you could mention something to him and he go, Oh, I bought one of those. I remember when those came out, you're like, really, you were trolling like toys R us, like the rest of it. <laughs> and he, he was, That's cool. um, you know, because that dark period of star Wars, you know, uh, in between, you know, Jedi, you know, Mark, he chose a different path instead of like, you know, feature films, he chose Broadway and went that direction and then went into the voiceover thing and be kind of resurfaced as a voiceover icon, like out of like a Phoenix rising from the ashes, you know, it's like, where's this guy been? Well, it's like, he never went away. He just influenced another generation generations now. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Joker, his voice of Joker in when we were out there interviewing and talking to collectors, that was as big to them as, Luke Skywalker because he had a lot of nineties kids where bat the Batman animated series was like the best cartoon ever, ever, ever. And they grew up, you know, watching that. Um, so to, you know, to them, he was like, Oh yeah, he's the voice of the Joker. Um, so he, he was great, uh, to work with, um, loves to collaborate, loves to talk about collectibles, easy to suck into conversations like that. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, filming stuff is never a problem all you have to do is just sort of wind him up a little bit and then then he just goes off and can have these conversations with people that will laugh i mean we have hours and hours of footage of him just having these conversations with people and the episodes ended up being like you know 10 minutes or 
I think the longest one, 16 minutes or something like that. So, but we sold the series to get back to that story. <laughs> when star Wars happened, when the force awakened, you know, was announced and then that, you know, Harrison, Carey, and Mark were going to reprise their roles. Everything just kind of blew up. And so we ended up getting, you know, putting together a deal at a startup network, um, the Comic-Con HQ network, uh, San Diego Comic-Con. They weren't financially behind it. Lionsgate uh, was largely financially behind it, but they licensed the San Diego Comic-Con brand. Uh, so they were starting up this new streaming network and they were just really, I guess this was 2016. They were just a little ahead of their time. Is this one of those bleeding edge mm. kind of things? Um, you know, because streaming now is so dominant. I mean, your first choice, you know, today is like streaming. Of course, now we're all trapped <laughs> in the pandemic, you know, and you've, you've Thank God streaming. the Netflix catalog, you know, yeah, you're watching your third and fourth choices. <laughs> um, but you know, at that time, people were like, How do you watch the show? It's like, Well, you have to subscribe to this streaming. They're like, What can it just be on my TV? Yeah, can it just be like a DVD or like on YouTube or something? So that that was tough. But, uh, you know, because of the Star Wars hype, you know, we, we ended up. Uh, and Force Awakens came out and, you know, had this like little bit part. And then he was so busy. I mean, after that, I mean, he toured the world for Force Awakens. I, I mean, he went, you know, because Lucasfilm basically hired him to be their ambassador. And so he just like toured the world. He went to Japan, he went everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, for the opening of force awakens all over the world. And so, you know, we were trying to work on the show, but you know, he wasn't available and Lucasfilm had basically hired him out and understandably as their ambassador. And then, you know, he went away for the filming of the last Jedi and, that's when everything kind of came together. Like uh, the network kind of, they got their egg, their ducks in a row and, and figured out, you know, when they were going to launch and they got their budgets and their money and all that stuff. Budgeting and contracts are an absolute nightmare. I mean, they take months and months and they, they're like vampires. They just, they drain the life out of you. They're <laughs> horrible. The, the kind the arguments things will blow up and you, and it's over. Forget it. We're not doing this. This is, I'm not signing this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the stuff and, you know, Howard, uh, you know, being, ex, you know, an experienced guy going back to the 1960s in Hollywood, you know, he's, he's real savvy to things. You know, it's like, you know, I've never signed a contract that had this, 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 you know, I mean, he, he, without even having his attorney look at something can go, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to sign this. So because Howard was so savvy in uh, contract negotiations, the good part of the whole thing is, you know, even though the, the, the network ultimately cratered, um, we got to keep ownership of the show and all the footage that was shot. 
Well, that's cool. Do you think, do you think it has the possibility of, you know, getting picked up by a streaming service again? You know, like, yeah, we've had Disney plus or something. Yeah. We've had discussions off and on with people of all, I mean, you can run the gamut. We've had uh, discussions with Facebook. We've had discussions with Amazon prime. We've had discussions with Netflix. Um, and Netflix ultimately kind of had uh, gone down the path of the toys that made us about the time that we started dis- having discussions with them. Yeah. So they kind of had a show that they were doing already that was in that vein. And that's fine. Cause I love the toys that made us. And I'm so glad that that show exists. Yeah. That series exists. Uh, and the movies that made us, those are great guys. I got to know them actually uh, a little bit while we were filming pop culture quest because I was in Burbank for a couple months and got to know a lot of the collectors there uh, while we were filming. That's cool. And so those guys, you know, uh, rich uh, and, and the rest of them, you know, they're real collectors too. Um, so um I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's, let's, I got let's, way off track there. No, no that's, that's an great. awesome story. Yeah. I'm just absorbing it all and trying to imagine being in your shoes. You know, your job is to make a show about something that you're passionate about and you get to work with a hero of yours to do it. Like that seems like all of the best things meeting together. And then you've got Howard in your ear too, giving you advice. Like, man, it just seems like, the best of all worlds kind of coming together for that. That must've been pretty awesome. Yeah. Filming days were uh, the best days of my life. I I hate to say I've peaked, but (laughs) I can't, I can't really top those days. I mean, when, when we would have downtime, you know, and when you're, you know, filming sets are often really boring because setups take hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll, you'll say, okay, we filmed here, blah, blah, blah. Let's film. We already scouted out this location. We want to film this little segment back over in this corner of the building. Uh, okay. So that's going to take a couple hours and then we'll be ready to film. And so you're all just like sitting around. And so sometimes, you know, Mark had to like decompress and he'd need to be alone and he would look over our scripts and our notes and all that kind of stuff because he didn't memorize things. He tried to internalize them. Yeah. So, you know, and it, it was fine. Cause it's, you know, it's a documentary series. It's not like you're, I mean, when he was in the booth, you know, doing voiceovers, obviously he just had a script in front of him, but when you're on camera and you're just interacting with a collector, you know, you just kind of want to have the bullet points of what I want to discuss kind of internalize what questions I want to ask, you know, so he would, he would, you know, sometimes, I'd have downtime just sitting next to Mark talking, you know, shooting the breeze about anything. And then sometimes it would just, you know, be me and another crew member, or sometimes it'd just be me and Howard. But when Howard would start telling a story, it's kind of a funny phenomenon. By the time he finished the story, there'd be like five or six people sitting (laughs) around him just listening to the story um, because they were very good stories. Oh yeah. Uh, his stories about, you know, working with Peter Sellers and people like that and their antics on set and stuff. It was just like amazing. Um, so 
it was all good. And then, you know, I also heard lots of spoilers about <laughs> the last Jedi. I mean, I knew, <laughs> I knew what the movie was because he had just come off when we started filming, uh, that he finally uh, finished his uh, shooting obligations uh, to for Last Jedi, flew back to the United States, and he said, "Guys, I need a week, uh, uh, just not doing anything. Right? Like I've been over there, you know, for months and months." And he did that video game uh, while he was over there too, um, the crowdfunded one. Um, uh, wing commander the the, the, yeah, the yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah 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 they use yeah, yeah. Film that his, like his simultaneously too. like the mocap stuff on that while he was filming last jedi so wow. he would like he would like leave the last jedi set and go to the studio and film uh i think it's star citizen i think it's the name of it um people can google it but yeah i've i've seen the commercials for it they use his likeness in it and everything and yeah yeah, yeah. I know, acted I out all, I he acted out all the scenes mocap. Yeah. So I mean, he spent weeks or maybe months doing that. So he had really long days, and he was like super exhausted when he got back to the states, and and so we didn't talk to him for like a week. But <laughs> I mean, he came into the office, our production offices that we had set up in Burbank, and we started filming two days later. So it was like totally hitting the ground running. We had never worked with each other. I mean, I'd worked with him over the phone and on email for years, literally. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had some uh, personal interactions, but they're very limited. Like we'd have a meeting and we'd get together for an hour, you know, in, in Malibu or something. But um, so we didn't have this working relationship. And then like two days later, we were like filming. So it was in, in there like, you know, 12 hour days and you, you know, you got five weeks to get the whole, you know, first season in the can. And so we were just making it up as we went along. And unfortunately we let the collectors sort of tell the stories. Like we'd find the collector, you know, cause we didn't want to do all star Wars. We didn't want to do all comic books. We didn't, you know, we tried to like, you know, really, you know, we did a, an episode on, you know, shoe collecting. We did a pinball episode kind of pinball slash arcade um episode and uh you know toys and uh we did the boba fett episode we did the we did two episodes on prop collect prop collecting um so anyway you know we, we tried to to diversify you know that you didn't it, you know the assumption is every episode needs to be about star wars and and i think some people wanted it to, every episode to be star wars but mark's totally not yeah. he doesn't hate star wars but he's also to some extent he gets bored with it too sure he's more than just that yeah yeah it's like you know yeah so i love star wars star wars made my career and star wars made so many things in my life possible but the fans know more about luke skywalker than i know <laughs> you know yeah um so, so, you know, on set, you know, I heard everything about Last Jedi. I, I knew that Mark was kind of, you know, he wasn't like real excited or he didn't. I don't think he just I don't think he understood the direction, you know, the character went him personally. 
like his his idea of who Luke Skywalker was and that that came across to me and that 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 was disappointing to me you know six months before you know the movie came out that that the guy that played the the character was like confused mm, yeah by you know by it but um you know it was for me to listen to mark describe the movie and again you know when you're acting in a movie you don't even know the whole story you just know like the scenes that you're in pretty much because mm-hmm. a lot of times you know on, on big budget films like this the actors don't get the whole script they just get their um sides like their their daily uh, parts they get to read the screenplay in advance but they don't even get to keep it like and ruminate on it they read it in a room and then have to leave it behind or whatever yeah on to the next yeah so you know that um so do you think after it was done he felt better about it once he got to see it all together i think he came around to the idea that it was the director's artistic vision mm-hmm and that he's kind of a respecter of that. Like, that's not my choice, but I'm not the director. So I gave, I gave the director my inputs and thoughts. And then I played the role, however they asked me to do it. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's cause he's a pro, you know? Yeah. They didn't hire him. They didn't, you know, they didn't hire him to write it. Right. They didn't hire him to direct it. They hired him to play this character. Yeah. So he's totally, he understands that. Yeah. You know, he would have wrote it differently, but he, he, Mark would be the first to admit, uh, I don't know if anyone would have liked that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. true too. Yeah. Yeah. That might have stunk. Well, so out in your, out doing this show, I would imagine you've seen some pretty crazy things in some uh, collections. Like what's maybe like one or two of the craziest, like most outlandish collector pieces that you've gotten to see through your experience in this show. Um, I think I was most overwhelmed, even though the prop store uh, in, in Los Angeles is phenomenal. It's like a warehouse of props. Um, and that was amazing. And I mean, there were pieces like, you know, you know, original like puppets from, you know, like gremlins and Rick Baker stuff and, um, amazing and outfits and costumes and, and masks. The, I think the thing that blew me away was Bob Burns, He's a prop collector um, and Bob is well known in Hollywood as a, as a collector. He's, he's, he started collecting in the late 1940s as a teenager. Oh boy. Hollywood memorabilia and props. And then he ended up being a makeup artist and he, and he, he starred in some films and did stunt work and, and all kinds of things. Uh, long career. Uh, he was Rick, Rick Baker was kind of Bob's protege. Rick Baker knew Bob when Rick was a teenager and Bob taught him how to do makeup applications and stuff. So he, the guy's a legend, but I knew all that. I knew those things. I, I, 
I knew who Bob was. I'd seen him in magazines. I'd, I'd seen spreads in magazines of his, some of his collection. I'd read interviews with him and articles and stuff. Cause I grew up uh, loving uh, famous monsters magazine and stuff like that. So, uh, but when I went inside Bob's house, it, it, it just blows your mind that it's somebody's private collection and it's Hollywood history, you know, from, the universal monster movie era up till now and directors like, you know, James Cameron and Peter Jackson, give him things like, just give it to him here, Bob. I want you to have this. I That's thought about cool. you. You should have this. Um, so he has like, you know, back in the eighties in the heyday of like fantasy films, Bob was already a well known enough collector that, you know, uh, Cameron knew who he was, was a fan and would give him like props from aliens and T2 and stuff oh my God. like way back in the day. Uh, but he, Bob kind of became like f- fan famous uh, because he did these haunted houses at, at his house in, in uh, the seventies and early eighties. And uh, he, he lives in Burbank in a, in a small, pretty small house uh, it's hard to imagine that he has all that stuff crammed in his house. It's so unassuming. If you, when you pull up, you're like, it, there's, it's not a gate. That's not a mansion. It, it's like a house, <laughs> but you know, I don't know how many square feet it is maybe because he's added on to it just because of the collection. I don't know, 2000 square feet, 2,500, something, something like that. It's not like massive house or anything. So he became famous. He did these Halloween shows where he would put on in his front yard. He put on these elaborate shows. And uh, one year, I think it was, I think it was Halloween 1979 or Halloween 1980. I can't remember, but it was right after during the era of the first alien movie, he decided to do an alien haunted house in, in his front yard. And he, because he was friends with so many like uh, makeup guys in Hollywood, they, they got him stuff like an alien, like head uh, (laughs) that was screen used and pieces, bits and bobs, you know, from the set, like real set pieces and stuff that he can incorporate in his haunted house. So he built this like elaborate haunted house and um, Walter Koenig uh, Chekhov from Star Trek was one of the actors in his, (laughs) <laughs> he brought him into doing this for free. Uh, That's crazy, man. Yeah, and they did like hundreds of shows a night. Um, there, I guess there was like a line around the block just to get into the to the thing. And uh, apparently, executives from 20th Century Fox went to the the show that night and asked him if he wanted some some more of the props from the film or something. And they literally gave him a, a, like a truckload of stuff. Jeez. That's like so just cool. gave it to him, just said, here you go. I mean, just dropped it off at his house. So I um, that, I think that night, that event made him like super fandom 
famous not like i well in fact i take it back household name i think et like entertainment tonight remember that show yeah i think they did like a segment on his haunted house or something like that so i think he actually entered sort of like the mainstream for a little period of time so anyway mark knew who bob was obviously had known who he was probably since the 1970s and had been invited to bob's house but had never never been there so that was amazing so we we always tried to hold mark back like not let him see stuff so that when he came in you could get like a real reaction like looking at things so that was great he i think that was my the, the my favorite moments were at bob's house and i think mark's too from the way he just his rosy glow like all day long like he was so happy to be there um you know because when you're seeing things you know like uh you know bob has the the original you know king kong that little um that that metal skeleton that they built the flesh and the fur on that willis o'brien did the stop motion uh he has that original kong I don't or I forgot that what what they call it, but it's the metal skeleton essentially that they use for the stop motion. You know, so all the joints move and everything. And that's a, you know, that's a piece that would easily be valued over a million dollars. You know, cause it's, it's like, it's the ultimate fantasy film. I mean, the first Kong, so many people, you know, uh, you know, even people like, you know, Peter Jackson will say that was the movie that like inspired me to make fantasy films. That first, um, King Kong, which made way back in the 1930s. Um, so, you know, Mark was, he's the same way. He's like, I, you know, that film was so, you know, transformative for me. It just like, it had a huge impact on me as a kid. Um, so he, you know, him holding that and then talking about, about that film, uh, was amazing because it goes back to the origins of of those guys. Like, what what made you a fan? And both of them had like this common love of of King Kong, which was awesome. That's that's ridiculous. So that was your favorite, like most awe inspiring collection. Then, obviously, yeah, yeah. And and, and what was weird was, you know, on set. I don't. I mean. I'm not a production guy, so I don't do lights. I mean, I can do all that stuff. I've done all that stuff on my own little like low budget, you know, productions and stuff, but like, I'm not in a union. I can't touch things. I can't move (laughs) things. You know, it's like, what are you doing? You don't do that. Um, so when we were filming, all I was there for was for consultation. So every once in a while I, I would hear Mark say something like, what are we talking about here? What, uh, get, let's get Scott. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know? So I just look at the script and go, remember we talked about this. This is the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, you know, every once in a while a question would pop up, but we had like seasoned pros like Jeff Conroy was another one of our executive producers and ice road truckers and, um, uh, deadliest catch and um, storage wars, you know, in, in shows like that, like Jeff has executive produced shows of, of that caliber, you know, the biggest, you know, sort of 
uh, reality shows on television, Jeff has experience there. So I didn't, I mean, it's like we were in trouble if they asked me anything <laughs> like important, you know? Uh, so while they were filming, I was like completely lost in Bob's collection. Like, cause Bob didn't care. He, and he, he would like hand me stuff. So here, you want to hold this? Like, <laughs> Are you supposed to touch these things? You're supposed to hold them. He's like, it's fine. You can, you can touch it. That'd make me nervous. I, he's like, I touch them all the time. I touch these things all the time. You know, it's, I, I love to connect with that, that history. Yeah. And I like to share that feeling with other people. Ooh, you know, still make a, me nervous though. That's such a good collector though. That's a, that's a, we always appreciate collectors that 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 share their collections and and while you know you got to hold something sacred they're they're okay with like you know go ahead hold it you know yeah especially something like that you'd be worried about like the oils on your hands and all those things right do i need to put on gloves first before i touch these things he's he's like he's like a i don't know he comes from an era of collectors where it was like i remember when this stuff was a liability like people didn't want it in their right warehouse like get get it out it's just taking up space right you know and now everything's like oh the value oh you know or whatever and in bob i mean he he's aware of those things because he 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 spends money to acquire stuff right and on occasion you know he's he told the stories where he couldn't afford he couldn't afford things you know he tried to buy them at auction and, and you know he's like oh, the price just you know, it got to a level I could, you know, even though I've got a lot of rich friends and maybe even have people, you know, buying stuff for him, you know, stuff starts going so high. Um, you know, uh, he's got Star Wars props. He's got Rick Baker props that I guarantee he couldn't buy mm. because Rick Baker gave them to him, <laughs> you know, but they're, I mean, like masks from like the cantina creatures yeah. from New Hope. I mean, he's got that stuff in his collection. Just fantastic. no big deal. Just a cantina mask just sitting over there. Well, yeah. Speaking of collections, Scott, we we heard through the grapevine. And of course, we like we said before we started uh, going here from our good our good buddy Matt from Enid. That's how he's known hey, Matt. on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> cool guy. I uh, love the guy. He he yeah he's he, keeps us, he keeps us on our toes, man. He's never. I don't think a day's gone by <laughs> where we don't get a a DM from Matt with a couple questions. So. Love, love the fandom there. Um, we we heard that you may have something in your collection, which of course we're kind of a Star Wars primary collector show. What do you got? Come on, what, what do you got there? You got a uh, you got a tooth. I heard. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I don't own any. Uh, I'm not a prop collector. I'm more of a toy collector, and uh, and I collect uh, comic books, but mostly toys. And so. Um, when we were filming the show, uh, I didn't really acquire anything for my collection. I bought a few little things here and there. And, and one one segment was kind of embarrassing because I was caught on camera buying stuff in a store <laughs> while we were filming. And they ended up putting it in kind of the end credits of one of the episodes. But Mark kind of made fun of me, you know. But uh, after the show was over, um, at one point... Howard Kazanjian knew that I had uh, experienced buying and selling uh, toys. And he said, I've got some stuff I, I want to sell. And 
he just kind of, you know, mentioned that Kenner gave him like one of everything or Lucasfilm gave him one of everything. And I was like, I'm like, Howard, if you want to sell stuff, I'll help you sell it. And I, and, and I was like, but why do you want to sell it? And he, you know, he, he, it just, he was like, it just doesn't, it mean it meant something to my kids, but the, the collectible, the toys and stuff just didn't mean anything to me. To me, it was like, that was like part of my job. It was like overseeing a lot of that stuff and approving. I guess to him, it represents a lot of work, not, not necessarily fun. Cause I know that he, he's one of those guys that at Lucasfilm was probably, uh, involved in a million different things. And, you know, cause at that time, you know, they had the Indiana Jones films going, they had the star Wars films going, and then they started doing special effects for other movies and, and growing Lucasfilm. And so I'm sure he was just like, kind of like, you know, the stuff to him is different. Like the, he is, he is attached to his film props. Uh, So I, I sold some of his toys uh, that he'd he'd been given uh, by Lucasfilm uh, to other collectors. And he gave me the, the Sarlacc tooth prop tooth as just like a gift. He said, I thought you'd want it. Like, (laughs) no big deal. I thought maybe you'd be interested in it. Cause he sent it to me and I was like, I'm not a prop. I'm not a prop seller. I, he sent this to me and I, so I called him. I was like, how come you sent this? Did you want me to sell it? I don't even know how to price something like this. And he goes, no, I just thought you'd want it. I was like, oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I, you know, it, it's, it's something I probably couldn't afford, uh, but I was thrilled to have it. And so he told me the story of, you know, the Sarlacc, uh, you know, they built in a pit there in the buttercup Valley in California, uh, out in the desert. And, the 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 teeth on the side the walls are foam and they're just a bunch of them glued in rows and he said when we were done filming and we were wrapped i told my assistant and i can't remember the guy's name he told he told me his assistant's name and he is a a guy that went on to do other things in hollywood i just can't remember but um he said go tear off all those teeth because they're going to destroy all that they're going to burn it or bury it or whatever they did, uh, probably both. And because they're out in the middle of the desert and it cost them a ton of money to transport it out there and they sure weren't going to transport it out. But, um, so, uh, the guy went down there and tore a bunch of them off and, and Howard kept them. And he said, I've just kind of given them as gifts and, uh, here and there I've never, cause I asked him at one point, I think I posted a photo of it on Facebook and one of the Facebook groups or something or, or whatever on social media. And somebody messaged me and said, is Howard selling these? And I said, I don't think so. I didn't get the impression that he's selling them. And they said, well, some, one of them sold like, you know, early two thousands at an auction. Did he sell that? And, and it was somebody trying to acquire one, you know, they were just trying to get to, you know, whether Howard would sell them a tooth. Right. And so I, I emailed Howard and I said, did you sell any of these in the past? And he said, no, I've never sold one. But he said, my assistant 
the guy that tore them off kept kept some and i think a few years ago he did sell like sell some at auction or whatever but he said no i've never i've never sold one well the guy that was bugging me to get Howard to sell him one. Howard gave him one. So, they, All right. What? Yeah. yeah. Howard's email address. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they were friends, and I guess the guy didn't want to just come out and ask Howard, like, "Can I have this gift of a tooth? How do you get on this gift list, right? Or whatever." But <laughs> um, I think he finally just asked him, "Can I have one of those, or can I buy one of those?" And and you know, it. it Howard has sold uh, some of his, uh, in addition to his toys, I think. He has sold other uh, props and memorabilia. I think he's holding on to like some of the Holy Grail type stuff. He, I know he has a Vader helmet from Empire in his house. He has an Ark of the Covenant miniature uh, that ILM built in shot, and he has he has a complete Stormtrooper uh, costume from Jedi that has never been opened. Uh, he sealed it in a crate in the UK. Uh, when they were done filming, he said, I had them build a storm, stormproof trooper on dummy gun, everything seal it in a crate and ship it to the U S. And he said, I've had it in storage ever since. And the uh, Ark of the covenant right there. Yeah. So <laughs> it would be fun just to do an episode of oh, Howard cracking that open. It. What, if, what if it was all just like black, like everything? Oh, yeah, like something leaked. <laughs> or turned oh, the, the foam in it disintegrated or something. Oh. Yeah. So, oh, so my then heart. It, it becomes like Al Capone's vault yeah. <laughs> um, or something, you know, but that we we joked about that. But, you know, how, Howard, he, you know, he thinks it's kind of fun to have this time capsule. Yeah. Well, he's not wrong. That would be cool wrong at all, man. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So, so in your collection, uh, you've got a lot of different stuff, not just Star Wars. Is Star Wars the biggest part of your collection, or or is something else? Um, it it's it's like a, about a quarter of it. I mean, I think when I started getting serious about toy collecting, um. I'd collected on and off since college because when I got out of college, it was kind of like a golden era of, it was like the early nineties and KB toys would, would like blow out like all these toy lines, like Thundercats and Silverhawks and uh, stuff like that. And so I would go and I would buy, you know, like three figures for a dollar, like from the eighties it was in the early nineties they, you know, they're blowing stuff out. So I'd buy stuff like that in, in hanging on the wall and stuff, but I wasn't real serious. But when I got into it, star Wars was probably the hook to get me like really collecting again, because I think the first obsession I got was to get all of the original figures just to get one of all the the original run. And I didn't have all of them as a kid. So that, that was above and beyond, you know, some people just collect what, what they had as a kid. I just kind of expanded to what I would have wanted as a kid that I (laughs) didn't have. Yeah. So, I I mean, I've collected well beyond my childhood. Uh, But yeah, star Wars was, it seems like an endless well of collecting, even if you limit it to vintage, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Like when you get into the foreign stuff. Yeah. And the knockoff stuff. And the variants and all the, yeah. 
Yeah. And so you can never really reach the end of it. And I know some people that are like the closest to, you know, to being at the end of it, but they still don't have everything. Like it seems like it's just impossible. So, so do you, do you just collect the vintage then, or do you keep up with some of the modern stuff too? Uh, I bought, uh, I was very proud of myself. I bought a Mandalorian. Hey, uh, black series. Uh, no, I collect uh, modern stuff. Like if, if something really kind of just talks to me and I'll buy it. I, I, I don't collect a lot of modern stuff because I, I have my eyes set on so many vintage pieces that are going to cost me so many dollars. Right. You know, like I have things on my list that I know if I get lucky, it's hundreds of dollars and most likely it's going to be closer to, you know, a thousand or more, which is like, that's a low end collector. I mean, there's guys that like drop 10, 15, 20. Yeah. And then these, you know, Boba Fett prototype collectors, you know, dropping $85,000. Uh, I just don't, I don't know how I would do it if I, if I had the money, of course, well, you'd have to sell everything else to get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, your whole collection, maybe you could get that, but, and then, and then a bank loan, <laughs> but you know, um, it, to, to me, uh, when I buy a modern thing, I'm like, Ugh, I still have these other things on my list. So it's usually just something that I really, really uh, like. I love the, obviously like everybody, everybody loves Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah. So I got, I got hooked on that, that series and I would buy more of the Mandalorian figures, but I can't ever find them. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. They're yeah. rare right now. Um, if, uh, if you didn't, if we take away the star Wars out of your collection, what's, what's the, uh, What's the what's the thing for you? Uh, Shogun Warriors is another toy line. You can, in fact, those are kind of let's see, there. kind of right behind you there, yeah. The other side, that yep. those <laughs> big giant plastic robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they came out in in the states around the same time that Star Wars toys came out. So this was a real like first world problem in the seventies was first Christmas 77. There wasn't any star Wars toys. There was like, I think star Wars Play-Doh and a star Wars board game and the comic books. Yeah. And the, in the trading cards and stuff like that, but the toys. So Christmas 77, you had to expand your your mind in and play with other toys even though you wanted star wars so uh micronauts uh from mego yeah uh, came out that year and shogun warriors uh came out and so those uh were kind of what you had to play with instead of star wars toys um so i at the time i you know i didn't appreciate them you know, cause I really wanted a millennium Falcon or whatever. <laughs> um, so Christmas 78, you know, was like all star Wars baby, but you know, that 77 Christmas was kind of like a, uh, I wish this was Luke Skywalker, but, um, you know, but I, I, now I appreciate those toys, um, because 
I did play with him. I mean, I, I did love him. Sure. You know, it's, you know, yeah, I wanted Star Wars, but the I had a great time with those toys. And so now I appreciate uh, the Japanese toys that were imported into the States because at that time there was kind of a little bit of a Japanese invasion happening with their properties like Star Blazers um, and Battle of the Planet, Planets and um, – Oh, I can't remember the other show. It was a live action um, show that came on in the States early. But anyway, so some of their uh, cartoons and live action shows uh, were starting to be imported in the U.S. in the late 70s. And it was kind of a and then in the 80s, it really took off because, you know, that got solidified with like, you know, Transformers, which Transformers was probably by far the biggest Japanese import of all time to the U.S. I mean, it became a giant global phenomenon. Um, but that, those were the early days of the, you know, the sort of the Japanese mecha and robots and, and things like that. And um, so that's a collection of uh, the U.S. releases, um, which are separate from the, you know, the, there was the, the original Japanese releases and then the U.S., uh, releases kind of they got repackaged renamed sometimes altered a little bit and then uh, you know called Shogun Warriors in the States um, so I'm a fan of the US releases I do appreciate the Jap- original Japanese stuff but it's it's another rabbit hole that's endless <laughs> you know it's like people are like how can we not collect the Japanese figures I'm like well these are technically they're all made in Japan so these are Japanese figures but the original figures there's hundreds, you know, and so, you know, it's all, it's always the limit of space, money, you know. Yeah. Scott, I'm thinking, you know, because obviously we can only go so long tonight, but I'm thinking like a new segment for us will just be collector story time with Scott and we get on like once a month. I just want to hear these stories like, I mean, for hours. So let's just cut them up and let's do a let's do a collector story time because I think you could talk about. Let's let's start. I know a, this is tip of the iceberg stuff here. Yeah, Andy. let's tip let's, of the iceberg. Uh, let's start a collection of Scott stories. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah, I, I love collecting stories. Uh, I uh, and you hear this. Uh, it's not. It's it's uh, it's common. You'll hear it with other collectors. Uh, you know, they'll say, "Oh, I love the story about this piece." Yeah, you know, yeah. How yeah. they found it? Who who owned it? What their backstory was? And so. That's something I really appreciate about my collection is I'm not a big eBay buyer. I like to go find stuff. Um, I do buy things on social media. I do buy things on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Those have been great tools for finding things. Like I'll post a picture of something and say, anybody ever see one of these? Because I really like one in Maybe weeks or months will pass and I'll get like a DM from somebody saying, so-and-so has one of those for sale. Right. That's been awesome. But I really like the meeting people, going to their house or, you know, whatever the circumstance is. And then them telling me, you know, they got this from their brother, their cousin. I mean, I have a, I don't have a lot from my childhood because I gave away uh, a lot of my toys to my cousin when I went into high school. Um, So I only have a few pieces from my childhood, like a few little figures, uh, a lunchbox, a few magazines, comics. 
but not, not anywhere near the toy collection I had as a kid. Uh, but I kept uh, my ad at you can. And we saw, I saw him. Yeah. 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 There he yeah, is. Right, yeah. Up there. Uh, yeah. right up top there. Um, that was my cousin's ad at, and we both got that for Christmas. I got one and he got one the same Christmas, probably Christmas 83. Uh, Cause I know it was return of the Jedi era and we both got one for Christmas and he, he his parents kept his in their attic and he wanted me to sell his collection this five six years ago uh, his parents kept everything in the attic so he got all the tubs down and all the boxes down and i went through it all and it was uh hmm. it was such a flood of memories yeah. because i can remember him getting some of that stuff all mine's gone <laughs> but here's his in that attic i had to i just bought it from him you know because I was like, man, I wish I had mine. This is the closest I have to that is yeah. that you got this the same Christmas. That's awesome. That is very cool. Um, you know, Scott, as you've been talking and telling your stories, you know, we, we on our social medias, we, we try and feature a follower's collection every Saturday. You know, people will send us some pictures and we'll post them up and, you know, this is, they've been collecting this long. This is their favorite piece. And, they just get to share a little bit of what they have. And we, and we find that to be uh, a lot of fun and, and engaging, kind of get to know each other a little bit in the collecting community because it really is pretty vast. Like it's the collector community, even if you just limit to star Wars is, is very vast, but mm-hmm. you, but you've touched on some things, you know, uh, we also try to give collector tips too. And you touched on a few that uh, that have resonated with us too, like like you said. Well, the next on my list. So you have a list, at least a list in your mind, or if it's written out, of kind of mm-hmm. like what you're going to get next. And you know, if you buy this, that's cool, but it's kind of taking the place of something on the list already. So you know, you're you're constantly prioritizing what you have. Do you actually have a physical list of things you're trying to check off, or is it just in your mind? Uh, the, the, the most organized I've ever been in my life with collecting is my star Wars comic. I'm trying to get all of the, uh, the Marvel run and, um, you can, you can see on my phone, I have a notepad of my, uh, I keep now a, a list and for the longest time I was like, how come I don't. I have spread because I know collectors that have like spreadsheets and stuff that they're, go, you know, right on, uh, you know, Google Docs and they'll pull up their their Excel, you know, and they're like, oh, at a toy show. I'm like, dude. Huh. So, you know, I got I got with the the 21st century and put a notepad of like my Marvel comic Star Wars needs. But the rest of it, I'm so visual that I literally have a folder on my uh, desktop that's full of toy pictures. Okay. And the folder is called <laughs> Scott wants these toys. So I, <laughs> wow. I go Very creative. Every Scott. once in a while I go in the folder and I delete something out of the folder <laughs> and I'm like, okay, mission accomplished. Checked off the list. But, nice. Yeah. But I, I do visual checklists too, so that I can post them on Instagram or Facebook. And like with the Shogun warriors, that's the only line of toys that I've ever tried to get all of them. Okay. 
some of them are pretty doable. Like if you look at some toy lines, you know, that just didn't last very long, like uh, Tron or uh, Battlestar Galactica or, you know, you know, things that just kind of, you know, one and done, you know, one Christmas or, you know, maybe a two year run. Um, and it's very doable. Indiana Jones, the Kenner collection is very, you know, doable, uh, you know, cause there's just not a ton of toys. So, but this is a pretty, how Shogun Wars is a pretty, pretty large run. I think they, I think they lasted three years in the U S and because they weren't creating the toys in the molding and the tooling and all that stuff from scratch, they were importing all that stuff from Japan. They could just import as much as they wanted. Yeah. So they did a ton. Uh, of releases uh, under the Shogun Warriors banner, so that's an ambitious one, but it's it's also doable. And I've been working on it, you know, uh, roughly about ten years, and I'm down to a, about six or seven pieces. Ooh, okay, to get all of them, and so uh, you know, I keep an updated post of those six or seven pieces that I can just post a picture of it and say, here's the six I'm looking for. And, and network because they're, because they're the ones I, I don't have, they're typically the ones that are the hardest to find. It's right. sort of like when you're collecting star Wars figures and you get down to yak face, right? You know, so, uh, Damn it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I got to that place too. I remember, I remember getting to the point in the collection where it was like, well, hmm, it's just the act face. <laughs> just the we act all face. know, we all know we're, we're going to have to pay. Yeah. Yep. This. There's just no, you know, unless you get really lucky. And that's the thing, you know, with, with, you know, trying to complete something on a budget, if you're on a budget, you're just going to have to be patient. Yep. Because Another. you can find stuff for cheap. You can find it at a guard sale. You can find it at a flea market. You can, but you can't control the timing of that. If, you know, good, fast, and cheap, you know, pick any two. So <clears throat> <laughs> that's a, that's a great collector tip right there. Um, Scott, we want to thank you so much for, you've been sharing with us for just over an hour now. And, uh, um, you know, one thing that uh, Mark Hamill says at the beginning of uh, the Pop Culture Quest is that he gets to keep collecting through you. And by you, you know, it's it's all of us. So that's that's one thing that I know Josh has really gotten to appreciate. You know, maybe he doesn't have to get everything. Maybe we don't have to get everything, but we can appreciate what each other has. And, you know, when we see it somewhere else, we're like, you know, that's awesome. Um, I got to get you out of here on this last question though. And it's going to be a tough question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a real zinger. Uh, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's been building up to this Scott. So be ready. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there's a fire in your house. Everybody gets out safe, but you can only grab one thing. What do you grab? One toy. I mean, you grab your kids and your dog, but after that, you <laughs> Since you do have two hands, maybe we can, maybe you can grab two things. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, that's, that's a tough thing. I, I, I guess I might say my alien. I love the Kenner alien, the, the 18 inch alien a lot. It's uh, it's such an iconic toy. Um, and I was obsessed with it 
when I was trying to get one in a box, I was obsessed with that toy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, I have, I really do have a connection to it. That's cool. So I, probably, I probably would grab it. All That's right. fine. Well, you know what? You seem to answer that pretty quickly. So that has to be the yeah, right it's answer. It's got to be right. If it popped in first yeah. and there you go. Yeah. Scott, where can people find you if they want to follow you or, or, you know, like you said, you're on some of the social medias. I know you're probably out there like you, you know, collecting from your side, but. Yeah, probably uh, Instagram. I, I, I post only toys uh, or comics. Um, so it's K I D K O S M I C kid cosmic Instagram.com slash kid cosmic. Awesome. It's also and, uh, your Twitter handle too. It is. Yeah. So uh, yeah, going back to my AOL. Uh, <laughs> yeah. login or whatever kid cosmic from the nineties. But um yeah. So I, I think, you know, people that are collectors will probably enjoy that feed the most. Awesome. Cool. And, uh, you have just from what I read in your little bio, you have, um, a show in post-production now. You want to give that a little plug? Yeah. Um, it's the game chasers. Um, they, if you just type in game chasers on YouTube, you'll find out you'll, they have a channel and, I have been following those guys. Uh, they've been doing it eight or nine years where they just film themselves going out and buying vintage video games. Oh, cool. It's, it's a real, I mean, it's, you know, reality shows where they go and find things and acquire them. So much of it is staged and fake and stuff. Um, you know, because you're paying a, a crew, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a day. So you can't not find anything. Right. Right. You want to find something <laughs> uh, every time. Uh, but, the, you know, they go and they film, you know, flea markets and garage sales and stuff and find nothing in this film. They like make an episode of that. And so I loved their show in, um, I met him once at a convention. I was selling toys. I was set up as a dealer selling toys and they bought some stuff off of me and, and uh, we have mutual friends and they, they raised money to, to make a motion picture based on their exploits. They play themselves in the movie and they kind of tell their origin story of why they're so obsessed with video games, retro games. And they approached me about producing it and I jumped on board, you know, I was like, yeah, this sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it's the most physical production I've ever done in, uh, it's hard work. <laughs> I don't recommend it. It's, it's really like producing a, a film. It like my cushy job on pop culture quest. I was an executive producer. I mean, I had like an assistant, I had an office and I mean, you know, I was just pampered and didn't have to carry stuff. Well, you're working on an indie film. You have to do anything and everything in the moment. Like we need this, you know, we need a fire, you know, we need to figure out where we can build a fire and do this and <laughs> we need to do it in 30 minutes because we're losing the light. And it, it, you know, you just have to like throw things together. Like, how are we going to do this? Okay. Uh, uh, you and you come with me and we're going to, you know, so they are long, long days. I mean, you know, 12 hour shoot days is pretty normal, but you know, when you're producing, you know, those 12 hour days, you know, can become 16 hour days. So you, you go into bed, you go to bed, you wake up, you know, at like four, you get to the set by, you know, five or six and you have all these things you have to get done before you start filming at nine. And, you know, I mean, you're like stressing that four hours, like trying to get everything done 
you know, to start filming at nine or whatever. And so it, but I think the movie turned out really good. I'm hoping, you know, I haven't seen like a, I've seen like an assembly cut, which is really long. Uh, but there, there's, uh, we need to do a few little reshoots and things, but, uh, anyway, if you go to YouTube, type in game chasers, you'll find their channel. You can find out how to support, uh, you can order the digital download. You can pre-order it. I think it's $12 for a digital download or something like that, or you can order a Blu-ray or whatever, but it's, it's a movie about collectors. So if you're into retro vintage, you know, 80 stuff, uh, we very much wanted to have a Goonies, you know, Spielberg vibe to it. We did our best to give it that vibe, you know, and we do have some flashback sequences in the movie where we have kids playing them in the eighties. And that was a lot of fun to do. Cause you know, you know, building the sets and everything to look like your house in 1987 or right. whatever. That was, that was a, that was a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, well, thanks again, Scott. I appreciate it. And, uh, hope to stay in touch with you. I'm, this has just been a lot of fun listening to stories and your experiences and the things, I don't know, there was things that you were talking about where I was like, yeah, man, I can relate. And then just having to get to listen to your experiences was pretty awesome. Yeah. So. I'm not joking. Stories time with Scott. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you agree. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Think, think of something, uh, you know, and let's do it. I'm, I'm down. I'm down once a month. I'm down. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks, thanks Scott. again, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 